You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 10 of The Grind, a disc golf podcast. I'm Josiah, and with me, my good buddy David, we're going to talk some disc golf. How's it going, guys? We've got a fun episode lined up for you this week. We are going to have a pro tip from Zach Melton. We are going to talk kind of a deep dive into how to aim on driving, primarily in upshots, but we might do some putting too. And then we are going to review the Dynamic Discs Maverick. But first, David, as always, what are you sipping on and how was your disc golf week? Oh man, we're sipping on some Papua New Guinea from what we refer to, so I work at Kiln Coffee Bar. We refer to Best Slope Coffee Roasters as our buddy roaster. They're kind of our crosstown rival slash not rival because we're frenemy. buddies. Frenemy. <laughs> uh, but we're doing the same type of style. We're sipping on a Papua New Guinea. It's from the Western Highlands, Wagi Valley. I think I said that right. Man, I always really enjoy Papua New Guineas, and I'm always reminded each time. I think in the past probably five or so Papua New Guineas that I've had, it kind of carries this um, almost like barley taste to it. This earthy barley taste that just almost like a sweet barley on your palate. Um, this isn't really one of the tasting notes that they label on their coffee. I feel like typically when I get that flavor in my mouth, it reminds me of that classic Papua New Guinea taste. And again, not all of them have it, but this one definitely is hitting on the palate for me and I'm, I'm really enjoying the cup. Yeah, it's a, it's a great cup of coffee. I really like Best Slope. They're a good roastery and they got a fun coffee shop with a lot of outdoor seating. So if you're in the Western Slope area, you're driving through, you got to stop at Kiln, say hi to David or John who might be there, but also check out Best Slope. I, I'm enjoying the, the cup for sure. I feel like I also get those earthy tones with a little bit of sweetness, definitely some acidity, but not in any way like it, it's it's really nice. Like I feel like it's a really good cup. It's really smooth, easy to drink. I don't think I've had too many Papua New Guineas before, but I'm enjoying this one for sure. For sure. And I'm I'm looking at the tasting notes on the bag and I, I'm actually getting I think that acidity that you're talking about might be the apple on the bag. Oh yeah. Definitely no, like a green something. apple. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely no, I, something like I that. buy that for sure. So and it's a lighter roast. Typically, I mean they're in that same re uh, same same area of style with the craft coffee kind of hitting the lighter roast end. It's a fun cup, man. It's definitely one of those enjoyable everyday drinking cups. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really good. It's a light roast, but and when I say acidity, it doesn't have like a sourness to it so much, but it does have that kind of like fun kind of little bit of uh, it just hits you a little differently than you know your classic dark roast or French roast. Yeah, for sure. Disc golf week. Disc golf week was pretty fantastic. I got I, a lot of rounds in. I honestly don't remember how many. <laughs> We talked a little bit on the second cup, but I played a lot of rounds this week. I guess two rounds of playing both backhand and forehand shots each round. So it felt like I either got two rounds in at a time or three rounds in at a time. You played backhand and forehand off the tee regardless of the hole. Off the tee regardless of the hole, yeah. And so, and I walked away too from the week, with, even with all of those rounds played, I walked away feeling uh, really great physically. My arms still feeling great, doesn't feel sore. My hip feels maybe a little sore. I, th- we've ta- I talked about quite a bit for the past month. I've maybe been dealing with a little residual like hip soreness. I feel like it hasn't gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better necessarily, but it doesn't really bug me when I'm playing around. I just notice it. It's there. <laughs> um, 
but it, man, but that's huge to feel. I mean, you're talking about basically doubling your round in terms of drives and to do that, what, four or five times this week and to feel yep, good for sure. That's huge. That's been a huge goal of mine, uh, for just getting ready for tournament play is just really building up that arm strength, just the confidence of knowing that I can go two, three, four rounds or whatever it might be. Um, and however many days and not have to worry about my arm, uh, tiring out on me because it's already hard enough to make sure you're hitting your shots and hitting your lines. And if you're having to do that while feeling exhausted, it makes it that much harder. And so. do you think that's more like you committing to stay in shape and exercise or mechanics or it's combination? I think a combination. I think, I mean, throwing more consistently, obviously you're building up that arm strength and your arm being used to handling that. But also some, I haven't been as good lately with, I think during tournament season, I'm not going to be as intentional with my workout routine or whatever it might be because I don't want to feel sore i guess from working out even excuses, though my workout, even though my workout routine is really not that big of a workout <laughs> but i've definitely dialed it back some and tournament season like we play one tournament a month <laughs> <laughs> don't want to work out all month <laughs> i just want to sound really legit <laughs> <laughs> so uh no but the week was great man uh snooks is all dried up now snooks bottom is a course right down the street from my house um it's just a five minute drive and you can cruise through the round by yourself because nobody, it's hardly anybody plays out there. It's a fun course, a lot of elevation change. You're putting on kind of, there's definitely some hills and stuff you end up putting on. Um, you're throwing down into a canyon on one hole. Um, it's kind of a fun course. It's nice that there's not very many people out there. So you feel like you can really practice and not have to worry about being rushed, which just feels really nice sometimes as much as it is fun to play Watson playing Snooks, like there's just a different variable for being able to really, I guess, approach or hone your craft. So I, I walked away from this week feeling great, man. I really, really grateful for the time I got to put in. So how about That's you? That's awesome. Yeah. The weather has been good. So that helps for sure. Yeah. It's been ridiculous. Yeah. Today it's sunny and 73 or something. It's incredible. Yeah. Just a little light breeze. My week was good. I feel like from a disc golf perspective, I was pretty inconsistent this week. I played with David on Sunday, kind of last minute round and kind of jacked up my knee one of the first drives and kind of was annoyed by that. I think I was tired as well. The weather was gloomy. It was like the one cloudy day in Colorado we have every year. Yeah. <laughs> but I, so I, I, David was kept on asking me questions like, Hey, what's going on? You tired? Everything's going, everything's okay. <laughs> I was like, everything's fine, David. <laughs> Watch me miss a 15 foot putt. <laughs> Watch me throw a drive into the ground. But it was kind of a crappy round in terms of my play, and I probably wasn't the most fun card mate, so my bad. Uh, and I've, I've kind of carried that through in terms of not playing that great this week. I don't know. I was joking with David earlier, but I don't know if it's just me basking in the glow of my tournament win, and now I have nothing to motivate me. But I think it's more just uh, just have some things to clean up. But I got to play a few holes today. We had the kids out and the weather's just so good. And I didn't play that great, but I had a few good shots. And I feel like that's been the case for the last three rounds I've played. I've played three rounds this week, one at Snooks, two at Watson. I like Snooks as well. I feel like it's hard for me and we'll get into it when we talk aiming. It's hard for me because it's so. some of the holes are so open or have so few. There's not much landscape there. It, there are some trees and bushes and obstacles, but I think I have a harder time playing there because my game is a lot about... I don't know. I just feel like I naturally have an easier time aiming when I'm in the woods um, or have some more trees or harder shots. 
which is kind of funny. But I want to get better at playing snooks in those courses. It's funny because I don't play snooks nearly as often, but I feel like probably my best is nine down at snooks. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a much it's it's an overall if it's in the shorter positions a much easier course than Watson. Oh yeah, it is definitely much easier. I realize though there's one less hole. And I was wondering That's true. in my head, yeah, eighteen was, versus nineteen. Because I think what I think thirteen's my best score at Watson. Yeah, is it tw- yeah thirteen? Four, uh, thirteen. Yep. Thirteen. Yours is fourteen. Yep. Um, I remember that 12, one for sure. <laughs> 12 is my best score at Snooks. And I, I kind of equated in my head. I was like, okay, that's about the same as what I'd be scoring at Watson. But uh, I feel like Snooks, though, with putting can be more difficult sometimes no, because fair. you can get punished on some holes with rollaways. And I do think that there is more wind or the wind is when you're when the wind is strong you're not really protected so i think putting a lot of times can be hard there as well that's oh, yeah. definitely true for sure i haven't thought about that but you definitely can get punished yeah but overall good week nothing uh nothing too exciting i'm just now kind of getting back into the rhythm of my normal like disc golf routine i took it pretty easy after the tournament and then i've just been kind of busy so I'm excited about trying to get back into feeling good about my game and excited about the tournament in about a week. Yeah, man. Super pumped about Delta. Delta's, I think it's my favorite course, especially as far as tournaments go. I don't know. I think it's my favorite local course by a decent margin. I love Watson for the convenience and I feel like it's just our course. Like it is, it's just the, what we kind of judge everything by and what we talk about the most. I think that palisade is the nicest course we have and snooks is nice because it's another option and it's a lot of times a lot less busy but i really like delta slash confluence slash kind of sense edge it's <laughs> whatever wi- you want to call it it's wild to me because watson is always swarming with people when it's nice outside it's just hard to get around and fast delta can be incredible outside and you could play around and maybe see one or two people. Yeah, you almost I think we've only gotten held up like once yeah. the entire time we've I mean we've been there down there all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great course. Nice uh mix of holes, a little bit of water, some tight wooded holes, some more open shots, some kind of tight or like pretty tough par fours. I think it's just a great tournament course because it forces you to play a lot of skills uh, or show a lot of skills and it has, you know, some options like it's a tight hole, but there's an, a forehand line or a backhand line. You get a pick or this, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it forces you to play smart because if you get punished by the trees early, you're not trying to do anything wild and crazy. You're just trying to get bite off as much as you can to get to the basket for that next shot. But I think it's also super fair. Like all the all the all the holes have a reasonable fairway. Mm-hmm. And if you if you hit your line, you're going to give yourself a putt like nine times out of 10 it's rare you're going to get like a late weird kick it's like no hit the initial gap miss the obstacle by the basket you know maybe there's a few you know there's a few that are a little tougher than that but honestly it's a super fair course i i really like it for sure so when you're visiting and you've stopped by kiln and best slope and played watson drive the 50 minutes or 45 minutes out and play delta oh for sure do not miss delta anyway you want to get into the pro tip let's do it man so Zach Melton, I think everybody knows who Zach is. He is a dynamic disc sponsored pro and just a really fun personality on the tour. I asked him, what's one thing you wish you knew when you were first building your game? And he said, you don't have to throw max weight discs. 
try easy to learn discs and try them in all kinds of weights. And I think this is just such a good tip that I think you may hear from other people occasionally, but I think the average beginner doesn't know this. Like you didn't know this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was picking, I mean, you, I was just picking up any disc that I thought like, oh, maybe I'll try this out. Maybe I'll try this out. No idea what grams was at the beginning. No concept of it. Um, and that's one thing that... Or flight numbers yeah. or... <laughs> throw a Quintana just for everything. Putt with it or pro- everything. Can you imagine what your game would have been like if someone had handed you like a Mako 3 or a Fuse yeah. and said, this is your only disc you're allowed to have for a year? Yep. I, it, th- yes. Uh, that I feel like I would have went through a lot... <laughs> a lot less struggle with figuring things out. That's definitely not a bad idea. This this is I love that Zach sh- shared this cuz this is one thing that my wife when we um did the meet and greet with uh, the McBess with Hannah and Paul, Megan was super excited to talk to Hannah cuz she just feels like there's not enough women around her to be able to ask the questions that she can to learn and improve her game. Megan and- is a trooper. She will play with like David and I and six other dudes. I'm I'm just always stoked when she comes out, even though the girls haven't been coming out much lately. But this is something that Hannah kind of told her. She said her her first recommendation was, hey, start off in the 150 to 160 range. If you could find a like, good, understable driver in the 155 range, stick with that. Learn how to throw your 155. Then slow. She's, I think Hannah t- told her that she just worked herself up to over 170. Um, throwing with her driver so she's probably throwing that 170 to 175 now with her grams but it's okay to start with the lighter grams i mean uh, one thing that i feel like disc makers need to get better at is producing these uh, lower gram discs and in a, in a more orderly way and i think as the sport continues to grow we're going to see this because the 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 demand's going to be there um, and when the demand, the supply has got to meet up, one of, some, one of these uh, distributors has got to be better at doing this because then it's going to force everybody else to. Uh, I honestly think it used to be better. And then when COVID hit, they just said, okay, we can't make that much variety. We just have to make discs. And uh, most players default to max weight anyway, whether they should or not. I, when I, I mean, when I first started playing, I felt like you could, what if you were like, Name a plastic and a disc. Okay, a DXT bird. Okay, what color and what weight do you want? You can find it online. Like, to the gram. So I used to be like, okay, I like 167 gram discs. Because it was just, that that option was out there. Oh, I have to sub for a 168 or I have to sub, instead of a blue, I got to get a purple. That was, that was out there. And I think COVID with the growth of the sport, manufacturers were just pumping discs out. And so they ended up with a lot of max weight. I think you'll see that come back because, you know, they'll sat, the demand will be saturated for max weight and then people have been waiting for... I mean, that's my theory at least. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, this is still one area of my game that I feel like I really need to at least eventually be more intentional with. Um, I think I... I mean, with my T-Bird 3s, I've been intentional with trying to get the 167 to 168. That's kind of what I felt like, at least for me, what feels right and good. They fly really nicely for you, so <laughs> yeah. I think you're doing something right. But I don't know at what point to move up, I guess, in grams or whatever it might be. And I mean, part of it's arm strength, uh, your arm speed pulling through. And at what time that changes, like who knows? And I think that just comes with playing rounds and realizing 
I don't know. I mean, and also, I mean, if you have the money, obviously, being able to have the different weights to throw in. I mean, I'm not saying go out and spend no, thousands of dollars get, on get every <laughs> every disc in every plastic from every run and every weight, and then figure out what works best for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the difficult thing is that you don't want to spend your money and end up having a disc that you're not going to bag. At the same time, it's also easy to sell your discs nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you can, if you don't have to, uh, if you can do it locally and not eat the shipping cost, even better. I think that for me personally, it's hard to deal with all of the variables and all the variety in disc golf. And I can't imagine for someone just getting in the sport when you're like, oh, there's. 20 manufacturers or 20 brands making discs and they each have 20 molds and then there's five plastics for each of those and then different weights how do you even begin to narrow that down i mean one of the things we're trying to do with these reviews in the podcast is to narrow that down for you at least you'd say hey josiah and david i throw like 500 feet further than them but i at least know this this plastic's a little bit less stable than that plastic or i you know i throw a little shorter or less than them or throw a different elevation but but we can only review so many discs. It's so hard to know what's good for you. And sometimes I think you have to experiment, but you also have to accept that you may not ever have the perfect bag or discs. I think you just have to find what works works for you and also be willing to say, I really like this disc and this, this weight. I'm going to buy a backup and just live with it. But getting back to the weight thing in general, I think it's important to open yourself up to lighter discs, even if you can throw far, even if you have power. I think that the wind is the main reason you would get a heavier disc um, and, and maybe some momentum. But I don't know. I kind of like that high 160s, low 170s range for drivers especially. Yeah, for sure. I think um, when I'm getting into my more overstable drivers, I'm I'm looking a little bit more towards that 171, 172. I mean, it's, it's so easy to want to because also too, the hard thing is that all the really nice uh, pretty tour series discs always end up being in that 175 range, which is really hard. Cause I mean, I want to throw the pretty disc and, uh, <laughs> I, I would love to have those discs in a little bit lighter weight. And so I do end up with a lot of discs in my bag that are 175. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be having, uh, discs that are higher gram in my bag. No, I but. think it's fine. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really a matter of What's the intended use for the disc? Mm-hmm. So to me, a disc that's a control disc for you, if you have, you know, if you have the arm strength to throw or the, the arm speed to throw the disc, uh, that, like let's say you can throw a nine speed disc well. That's kind of the top of your arm speed. Maybe you'll occasionally throw a 10 or 11 speed, 12 speed disc. But in terms of control, like for me, I feel like seven speed is where like I feel a ton of control. And then I get fa- faster than that. I usually feel like, oh, I don't have as much control. But let's say it's a nine speed for you. If it's a control, a disc that's meant for control, meant for wind play, I'd say go max weight. Mm-hmm. Even if you are a lower arm speed player, go max weight. If the disc is for finesse shots, for hitting lines, for hitting gaps, for distance, I think it makes more sense to experiment on those because that then it's less about just a you know a, a, a basic hyzer control shot or a basic straight to or flat to hyzer control shot it's about hey can i get the right amount of flip on this disc from a hyzer can i get this to hold the turn long enough i mean one of the hardest things when you're playing at elevation you play a big tailwind if you play if you want to throw a backhand it's really hard to get the disc to stay anteed 
And so a lighter disc, a flippier disc, whether it's for somebody with arm arm speed or you know lower arm speed, is sometimes super helpful because you can just get it up to its design speed or even faster to flip it over. I don't know. That's my general theory is like, if it's a flat top Firebird, there's no reason for you personally to get a 168 if there's a 175 available. That doesn't mean you have to get all 175s. If it's an Onyx, there's, you know, getting a lighter one, if, if it's just for control shots, yeah, it's fine, but there's no, I don't think there's any downside. I think it's when you get to that point where you're saying, I wish this disc had a little bit more flip. Rather than abandoning the mold altogether, find one that's five or 10 grams lighter and see if it does what you want. And then you can bead in the first one and kind of layer that same mold in maybe a little different weights. What do you think about that? That makes a lot of sense because you think about working your way back from your game, starting with your putting to your approach. To, I, I want as much control as I can with my putt. And typically in the wind, if you have that 175 gram putting in the wind, that's going to be your best. It's going to help you out the most in the wind with having a max weight. Um, same thing with your control, my control shots with my zone. I want that 175 because I know I can put it out there and having the control with it. So I think you're right as far as grams go, as far as whether it's, I think control is one thing to think about. If it's, if you are going for a distance or it's getting to the point where you're wanting to have con- those, I guess, more understable discs to control lines through the trees, then you can really mess with it. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and just getting that max distance, you know, if you're, you know, for example, I throw star wraiths for, you know, like a halo wraith is kind of my overstable distance and then a star wraith is kind of my straight distance to slightly overstable for me, depending if it's backhand or forehand. And then I like pro wraiths for my bomber disc. I kind of like layering that. And I like them to be in that like, mid to high 160s because I want them to be flippier than they are in that max weight. And so I get a little bit of free, you you based, you can change it. Like, so you just heard the plastic. So halo, halo overstable star, pretty straight pro, a little bit flippy. And then you can also vary those weights. So my halo is max weight partially because that's all that's available in it. Mostly star is like around 170. And then my pros are like 160s. And so I can get a full spectrum of stabilities and flights from one mold. And then you add wear into it. You can really get a lot of options. Now, the problem is there's so many options and there's not always time to practice. So in the end, I think simplicity is important. And if you just say, hey, I throw 165 gram distance drivers because that's what works well for me. That's fine. If you want to just throw all max weight, that's fine. I think especially for lower arm speed players, if you're playing at elevation um, if you're just starting, I do think, you know, going back to what Hannah said, I do think that having a lighter weight disc makes sense. The last thing I'll say with that is I actually have my seven speeds right now are in the 165 to 168 gram. And that's because I like all the discs, but I kind of like them in like slightly flippier state than they are naturally. And so my craves, my servos, my resistors, they all feel about the same. They're different molds, but they're pretty close. I like that resistor a few grams lighter because I can get a really nice straight shot from it. The servo, I can get a little bit of flip up and then fade. And the crave, I can just have that thing go like flip up to dead dead straight. I guess the resistor's got a lot of fade to it. But anyway, all that is to say, I am I did that partially because availability is why I tried those like 160s. And I really consider that seven speed kind of my finesse discs. I wouldn't throw them in a ripping tail, I mean headwind. 
but I'm loving it for control. Like I just love it for control. And then my Onyx, my Firebird, my Halo Wraith, all those are max weight. The putters, my putting putters used to be max weight. I'll have to weigh them sometime because my guess is they're, they've lost a few grams th- through the multiple gouges and they barely have a bead anymore. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I'd say try it, see what you like. And honestly, there's so much variance. It's, I, I just can't imagine starting fresh unless you're really into researching and knowing what to do. So I'd say if you're starting fresh and you you don't even know anything, I'd say get a max weight neutral putter, get a 170s, whether it's low 170s or high 170s, neutral mid, and then find yourself a, a driver in the 150s or 160s. Base plastic is your friend early on because it's got more glide, less fade, and then go from there and experiment. That's one of the fun things about disc golf. There's infinite options to experiment with. And I think that's just makes it even more fun. Yeah, for sure. I'd agree on that. Cool. The other thing that Zach said, which I really appreciate double pro tip from him, but he said, another thing I didn't know, but I did do, and I think was great, was I literally played any time I could, could get to the park. Two, three, four rounds a day. Get reps. I think that's a big reason why I progressed. I found a local pro and asked a million questions. I didn't have all of these videos on YouTube. Yeah, it's tough. I imagine when you don't have all the resources that we have now, you have kind of infinite resources, but in some ways, having a local pro may have been better. You get one voice. I mean, one of the things you have to deal with is you're going to have, you know, you can get a video from Simon or Paul. You can get a video from Overthrow Disc Golf, Seabass22 from all these you know YouTube coaches. You can watch Paul Uleberry's From Scratch to Scratch. You're going to get a million different opinions. And so maybe it's some advantage for Zach to have the pro. But what do you think about playing a lot, getting a lot of rounds in? And then the second thing I want to ask you is, how do you do that if you don't have a lot of time? Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I think that's the difference between you and I. I end up having a little bit more time typically throughout the week. But yes, reps is huge because I think what really elevated my game was when I had that two-week period at the beginning of COVID off of work and I played two rounds a day every single day. That's all I was doing with my day because I really wanted to get good at disc golf and I was having a lot of fun. And uh, I think you I... Got, you got kind of good. <laughs> and I think as far as the time frame that I got increased i guess the fastest and skill level was during that time period and i still think i have weeks that i get out and play a lot but i think when i'm playing a lot that's when i'm really honing my craft i talked earlier about um this week playing feeling like i'm playing multiple rounds because i'm throwing back in and forehand on each hole um off the t-pad um and it's really helping me build up that arm strength and stamina and it's also getting me the confidence to go up there and not have to think twice about my shot i'm just going and throwing my what i'm hoping to create repeatable shots and that's really what i'm trying to build in my head of i want to have a repeatable shot if i make a shot that seems like a one in a million shot that bounced off this and went over here and i end up with a birdie i laugh at myself because like yeah i got a birdie but that's not a repeatable outcome (laughs) and so i'm definitely when I'm having multiple rounds in a day, I'm just trying to create those repeatable shots that I can go back to over and over and over again. So yeah, I like this. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when I'm playing a lot um, or frequently, I think that my game feels much better. I was talking about it earlier, but when you have two or three days between 
throwing it it's fine for me but when i get a week or two weeks i feel like i don't even know if how to throw for a minute and it takes me a few holes or a few rounds to get back into it i think i always just try to find some way to throw every other day or so and i have to be kind of strategic about it because i have a couple kids i work 10 hour days during the week and so it's tough for me to make it work i do have a little bit of a flexible lunch time so i will occasionally get field work in usually once a week um, or so I'll do a little bit of field work. We've talked a lot about field work and different things on the second cup. So you can catch us on there. It's our Patreon bonus podcast. So that's what we talked about this week, but I do some field work. I also try to sneak in nine holes occasionally at lunch. And then I have a, a pitching net or a batting net, I don't know, a golf net, some kind of net. And I'll throw into that occasionally just to try to get reps And I just say, you know, sometimes I can't get a whole round in or sometimes I'm not going to keep score, but I just, I just try to to throw. And then the other thing I'll occasionally do is I'll line up in a, somewhere where there's two trees or two obstacles and I'll just try to hit gaps when I can't get to the course, but I don't really want to do like wide open field work. And I think that's been helpful for me. But in general, I think playing a lot of rounds close together is going to change your game dramatically. And I think this is true in life. When we have compressed learning, I think we, a lot of times, we don't lose, you know, I think anytime you have a class like once a week in college or, you know, if you have block schedule or whatever in high school or middle school, I think a lot of times that extra day off, you forget a little bit that you learned. And I do think that, you know, when, when I was building my game, it was a, especially it was a summer in college, nobody was there. It was just me out of like one class a day and then I was just playing disc golf and I was putting, playing around and doing field work every day. And you just see your game change so much so quickly. And when you're first learning, if you can only get out once a week, it's going to take some time to build those skills. And so just being strategic about just stealing a little bit of time here or there, finding a little bit of time, I think makes a big difference. Yeah, I like that. One thing that's preached big time in baseball is muscle memory. And I think going out and, like you said, if you're over the course of a year playing once a week, it's really hard to build that muscle memory because you're each week trying to figure out, okay, what was I doing this time? And yeah, you might be able to, some might be better than others, but I think if you're doing it every single day, that's huge because it's a lot easier for your muscles to remember from the day before, okay, this is what I did. This is what I was going to each time. And so I think being able to have those consistent rounds is going to really help create that muscle memory. And this is kind of related, but I would just recommend that if you're going to make a form change, that you decide to make it when you have time on the schedule to drill that in, uh, whether it's a driving form or even a putting change. It's just, I, I think that trying to build new uh, routines or mechanics, I feel like you have to be able to drill that in and give yourself time to do that. And maybe it's worth not making a change until you can have that block of time to really work work on it, hopefully without injuring yourself. So don't change my can- my mechanics the day before a tournament? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, if we're in the same division, yes. But right now, no. When I move up to advance, then you should change your mechanics. For sure. You should point something out the day before. You know, that's what got me my first tournament. Literally, somebody said, it was a three-round tournament, like middle of the, of the second round. I was starting to throw, not throw that far. My arm was tired. And this guy who was bombing was like, you know, you should reach back further. 
And I was like, oh, maybe I should. <laughs> totally threw me off. I tried not to think about it, but I couldn't help it. Because your mind is like 500 feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he was throwing high fours. I think realistically, if you can't play a lot, then I think it's fine just to lower your expectations for yourself and just try to have the most fun you can and just recognize that, yeah, you're going to have a slightly slower learning curve. That doesn't mean you're not going to ever figure it out. I just think it's, it may take a little bit more time, but don't beat yourself up about the fact that I was throwing better two weeks ago and now I can't remember how to throw. That happens all the time to me and I, th- I try to play at least you know two rounds a week and usually more. Yep, that's been the most frustrating thing for me with my backhand is because I so easily go back to my forehand I'm playing around and then I go back to work on my backhand and I feel like I lost it entirely and I get so frustrated. But that's just part of it. It's part of the learning. It's part of uh, creating this that muscle memory. So Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about like figuring it once you have something to a certain level that you're happy with, then trying to like drill into that and like intentionally try to plateau mm-hmm. in order to get consistency and then and then work on it again. I feel like there's some benefit of having these steps changes rather than always tinkering mm-hmm. with everything in your game. Yeah. I think for me finding that one thing that whether it's my putting, my upshots or my drives finding that one thing that I feel like when I'm focusing on this, then I feel like my mechanics are at its best. I'm finding the best. um, And so I think having, creating whatever that is for you in your head, that's something that I could definitely help out. Yeah, for sure. So if you can play as much as you can, as long as you're having fun and you're not abandoning your family or your responsibilities, play as much as you can. And I think if you do that, you're going to see some, some big growth for sure. Well, the other thing I was going to talk to you about, David, was we talked a bit about aiming when we talked about pre-shot routines in episode two of the podcast, but you said something to me when we were um, preparing for the Palisade tournament. There's a hole with a double mando, two big trees, some low logs underneath it. You, We had three different positions, but you have to hit that double mando in all of them. And one of the positions required this big hyzer with skip in, um, backhand if you're right-handed to get to. And it's so easy when you're throwing that shot to miss the, the mando on the left side. And you said, hey, I just aim at that right tree and throw and I know my disc is going to break before that tree. And this actually kind of messed with me because I have you know read and listened to some you know, people talking golf and they often say like in aiming – don't aim for a bunker or don't aim for something that if you actually hit your line or hit your shot, you'll end up in a bad spot. Like don't get, do that to your brain. But I think disc golf is different in that the discs do fade and turn and break. And so you, it, I think it actually was very helpful to me because it kind of, I had kind of said, Oh, you don't want to aim at a tree because you'll hit the, if you actually hit, hit your line, you'll hit the tree, but no, it's a little different than that. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I really just like maybe just a general in aiming for drives. Yeah. I tend to rely a little bit more on overstable discs. And so for that, I understand what they're going to do at what point, at least a general concept at what point the disc is going to take. Um, but, uh, so I told Josiah with the, when we're going for, I think that hole is the one with the big dog leg on the left side. Then there's also a position on that to where it's on the right side. If it's on that right side with my forehand, I'm aiming for the left tree because I know that my flat top firebird is going to fade before that tree. 
And so I know that I'm not going to fade out and miss the Mando on the right side because it's a double Mando. The same thing with my backhand. Um, I actually missed it with my backhand in the tournament because I tried to force a hyzer out in the middle um, and I didn't commit to just throwing it flat with my Halo um, Wraith and letting the, letting the disc do the work. I think for me, I'm at my best when I'm letting the disc do the work as opposed to me trying to force the disc to do what it needs to do. And so I know that I can put my flat top Firebird or my Halo from my flat top Firebird on a forehand, my Halo Wraith for a backhand. I know I can put it out on that straight line and it's going to fade and have that predictable to go where I want it to go. If I try to force it and uh, force a hyzer on it, then it's I'm going to make a big mistake with it. But I have to trust and know. So yeah, for me, I'm a- it, having something to know that I'm going to aim at that tree because I know the disc is going to fade beforehand. It gives me, it makes the whole simpler, I guess, in my head, just letting the disc do the work for me rather than me trying to make the force the disc to do the work. Well, you see that all the time when people throw hyzers. When a lot of times when a pro throws a hyzer, quote unquote, they're really throwing a flat shot kind of high and then the disc hyzers out. They do sometimes, of course, throw like pure hyzers, but a lot of times when we think anything goes left, let's throw an overstable disc on a hyzer. Well, a lot of times it's going to fade way earlier than you would expect or want. And I think the other thing is like going back to what you're saying earlier, like, hey, I know when it's going to fade. I know when it's going to break. I think that um, that can be true of a understable disc as well. Like I know when it's going to turn, like if it flips up maybe from a high, am I doing a hyzer flip to a turnover or, Hey, I know when it's going to come back after it's been turning, then I can pick an obstacle or I can pick a point on a line and say, Hey, I know that, you know, we're not pro disc golfers, but I still can say, Hey, I know my disc, my crave in this wind and this shot with this power on this angle is going to, turn at this point and if i want to wiggle around this obstacle i can aim at that obstacle if i know that turn point so i think it actually works with understable or overstable and i think it also speaks to knowing your discs and i think that's one thing that the podcast is messing with you a little bit about because you're trying new discs but i think that's one strength in your game david is that you know your discs really well yeah you throw a lot of overstable which i think isn't is something you do but i think it it speaks more to me about no, I, you know when those, what those discs do, flat top, firebird, wraith, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the hole after that at Palisade is uh, hole 19, and what it's a 200-foot hole? Yeah, maybe 210, really and short. Again, with that double mando, and it's kind of a shorter gap double mando, but it is a shorter hole as well. It's um, about, what do you think that mando is, like 12 feet, 10 feet? Something like that, yeah, it's not huge. For me, I know my mistake is fading out early on the right, babying it and fading out early on the right. And so for me mentally, what's helped out for me aiming wise is forcing myself. I can do a standstill 200 foot, put out my zone on a hyzer and aim for that tree on the left. Because I know if I, if I hit the tree, I still have a 30 foot putt at worst, a 35 foot putt. If I hit the tree, um, it's the way that the tree goes in, it's, it's going to catch it and it's going to sit somewhere there. Um, but more than likely by putting it on that hyzer, I throw a um, metallic Z uh, zone. Shout out to Brian Earhart. Shout out to Brian Earhart. And so I, it's more of an overstable zone. So I know that also predictability-wise, there's a good chance that it's going to fade early. And so it's going to give me a really good shot. I, get, I know I'm going to make the Mando. And my mistake is hitting that tree and sitting 30 feet from the basket in between the two Mandos. And so 
I I guess I'm going back to calculating my percentages too of where I know my mistake is and trying to avoid what that mistake is. So I had thrown the backhand on that hole two rounds in a row because that's what I had practiced and bogeyed both of them because I missed the mandos. And the third round, I actually threw an A3 straight at that tree. It was like dead straight forehand, nailed the tree exactly where I was aiming. But once again, like the percentages worked. I gave myself a putt. I missed my putt. It was a lot of headwind. But I do feel like, you know, I kind of stole that from you in some ways. Once again, playing with friends helps. We talked about a bit about that on the second cup. But yeah, I think that if I want to take a step back on aiming and just generally, like we talked about in episode two with the pre-shot routine, I pick a point I'm aiming at and I pick that usually from the front of the tee pad, then walk back uh, so I can see that line as perspective changes and then I try to focus just on that point. And I think the one thing that I'm making the adjustment of really based on just that conversation and then trying it out is when I'm not throwing a disc that's just dead, dead, dead straight, when I can expect some turn or fade, being okay with aiming at something in the in the path because the closer the thing is that you're aiming at um, and the more specific it is, I think the easier it is to keep that focus. And I think also just really knowing my discs enough to say i i'm not going to hit this if i if i aim at this obstacle i'm not going to hit the obstacle and trusting that and or maybe if i hit this obstacle it's it's a good it's an okay outcome and i think just adjusting for me taking my which i think i have good aiming focus but just taking that and maybe in terms of picking my aiming point making an adjustment to say i'm not just throwing here in this on this line and letting the disc do the work but i'm also in my head saying i know if i throw this disc flat it's going to turn here it's going to fade here and knowing how far down the fair how far down the fairway based on the power angle wind etc it will make that break whether it's turn or fade and that's just another level that i want to get to in terms of trusting my shot but also strategically thinking through you know and this will be helpful for courses we don't play that often because usually of course you play all the time you can kind of like, hey, I aim at this point with this angle and it usually works out. No, I I can even use a rangefinder and say, hey, that, that tree is at 250. So I know if I throw a zone really hard or an A3 or you know, whatever it is, I'm not gonna it's gonna it's gonna fade before that. So I have no risk of hitting it. I don't know. It's just something I want to work on. Yeah. I think it also is different when it goes from forehand to backhand, depending on aiming. I feel like for me, forehand, it's easier for me to line up my shot and be focused on it backhand has been harder for me and what i have found that has helped me with my aiming with my backhand is the alignment of my front shoulder um i know that i mean my mistake is flying my shoulder out open wide or hyzering out early and not um, aligning my shoulder and releasing straight and so definitely a focus for me on aiming when i see my target i'm definitely thinking about that front shoulder being uh, in line with that target. And that's something that definitely has really helped me with my backhand aiming. Yeah, I think I heard someone talking about this on a discussion group that I'm a part of, and they were talking about, I think they said hip, elbow, wrist. I think you could add shoulder in there as well. But like, hey, I'm going to align my hip. So on a backhand for a right-handed player, your right hip, and then your right shoulder, right elbow, and then your wrist. And basically just saying, hey, if all of those hit the target, I'm not going to mess up this throw. I may mess up the angle, but I'm not going to mess up the left to right trajectory or the, you know, as long as you get the, and obviously nose angle, wing angle, 
you got to control those as well. But I think most of the time, my biggest problem is, oh, I just completely missed my line when I, I mean, it's, I don't know. I think about hole five, hole six or five in the tournament, two of the three rounds I hit, hit late release on the right. And I, I knew that that was my potential mistake and I still did it. And I think part of it was that Oh, I wasn't really mechanically aligned. It wasn't. I don't think it was a focus issue. It was just a mechanical issue for me. Yeah, for sure. We were talking a little bit about the differences between Josiah and I a little bit before the podcast as far as aiming goes. Josiah typically likes to go the most direct route to the target. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very reliant on hyzers, both backhand and forehand. I think for me, I got obsessed with it because of the predictability of it. I mean, to the point to where... I mean, I am at my best when I'm when I have something to where I know I could aim at on a hyzer and it's going to fade and have that skip to the basket, and that's what I'm going for a spike. I'm wanting it to spike in. That's when I'm at my best. I have a really hard time when it is if I'm having to play um, holes through the trees and I'm having to hit more direct routes to the basket, and I don't have a route that I can rely on the fade of a flat top firebird or whatever it might be, it's a lot harder for me to find something to like conceptually aim at. I get frustrated with, there's a few holes at Delta that have some really pretty backhand lines that I would really love to learn how to throw because I love watching Josiah and Ryan both hit those lines. And that's something that I really want to grow in, but I don't have the concept in my head built enough to be able to create those lines in my head. Yeah, well, I think that your hyzer game, both forehand and backhand, is why you are so consistent. And I think that that, in general, I think enjoying that, like enjoying that consistent play is positive. And that's just kind of an aside. I think I am just learning really how to aim those hyzers better. My my winning, just got to bring it up, my, my sudden death playoff winning drive was just a basic backhand hyzer. And I think my natural desire on that hole it's a fairly open hole over some water. I'd like to just throw a putter straight at it. It's like 260. And there were some headwinds. So there was good reason not to. But I just, I knew that the hyzer was the more, um, it was the more reliable shot. It was the highest percentage shot. So I took it. So I took it. But I do think that one of the advantages, like you're saying for me, is because I take those straight lines, when we play in the woods, I feel like, oh, this is where I, this is my jam. Like I may not hit my line every time, but I'm having the most fun because my lines actually make sense where a lot of times in the open, it's like, yeah, you could have just thrown a hyzer at it, you know? So I think I want to get better at your side of it. I want to get better at both throwing and enjoying the basic hyzers. And I think it's kind of fun because we do have both for a while, at least you're getting good at the backhand, but for a while you're a forehand guy. I'm a backhand guy. You're a really consistent push putter i'm a spin putter you're a hyzer player i'm a straight or hyzer flip player so i think it is fun we have such complementary games but so we can learn some things from each other yeah for sure yeah, it kind of goes to show the difference on that hole like i'm always throwing spike hyzer forehand spike hyzer to the basket because there's on that left side of the basket there's the reeds and then there's a bush there i'm just aiming at that bush to aiming what throw it six eight feet above that bush and i know if i get it above that bush i know it's going to finish every time right at the basket um so it's i'm 
aiming at something that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but uh, I know what the disc is going to do, so it makes complete sense to me. And I just like throwing slower discs. I think that's a lot of it is I really like throwing putters and mids, um, slower fairway drivers. So I think part of it for me is just preference. And I know, you, you know, I know what the distances are really well, but I do think I'm slowly coming around to throwing more hyzers because it's just, I don't know, it's just so predictable. Anyway, we probably talked about aiming a lot. We'll probably talk about it more because I think it is something that's hard to really grasp. And I think there's so much to learn about it. And I think it's important to kind of take it in stages in terms of your consistency with the shot. Maybe initially you just want to throw it at an object kind of to your right if you're throwing a hyzer and just figure it out. And then maybe you're going to say, hey, I know it will break here. I know it will turn here. I feel like there is... There's a lot of layers to it, and I think it can develop as your game develop in terms of how complicated you make that shot or how simple you make that shot. You ready to get into a disc review? Let's do it. All right. This week, we have the Dynamic Discs Maverick. It's a seven-speed, four-glide, negative 1.5 turn, and two-fade fairway driver. We got to throw a 2021 Zach Milton Tour Series Fusion X Maverick about max weight 173 grams and a 165 gram lucid air maverick and the fusion is kind of like fancy star plastic they have normal fusion and fusion x is what they use for tour series and then the lucid air is kind of like a champ plastic the air i think is just their lighter weight um lucid discs but david what do you think about the maverick yeah, I mean, they're both pretty different from each other. Um, I was on the blue one most of the week. That's the Tour Series disc. I really liked it. It reminded me of the um, a shorter Saint, I guess. Um, I can throw it pretty dead straight, and it has just that slight predictable finish to it. Just It felt like a really nice fairway driver that has just a predictable predictable outcome to it. It's still a little straighter than your most beat-up T-Bird 3, you think? Or about the same? Um, I would say a little bit straighter than even my most beat up T-Bird 3. Yeah, the T-Bird 3 definitely has a little bit more of a skippy finish, especially if it's if it's a fast green. Yeah, that makes sense. The Lucid Air was pretty understable for me. I was, it, I was trying to throw it exactly the same each time, and every single time I was turning it over. And so I started trying to do hyzer flips with it. And still, I was getting it to hyzer flip up, and then it would turn again and still ride to the right. And so definitely a lot more understable than, I would say the other one was definitely coming out very neutral, just a stable, predictable, I could throw it straight. And uh, the Lucid Air was, cr- I would say, almost crazy understable for me. I was telling Josiah, it almost reminds me of throwing my Roadrunner that I used to bag. Um, it just really starts riding to the right for me. Yeah, I'd say that the Fusion X Maverick is a little bit more stable than the flight numbers indicate. I don't think you quite get that 1.5 turn. I think it's probably more like a negative one. And I'd say the Opto is a little bit less stable than numbers indicate. I definitely thought the Fusion X was nice and like dead straight. I expected it to be more flippy out of the box. So I hadn't really looked at the flight numbers, but I kind of imagined a Leopard and I thought it was much... It was, it was nice and straight, very neutral. And then it just kind of died at the end. It didn't really have a big fade, um, not a lot of turn. It was just like a straight, very predictable disc without being overstable. I think neutral is a good term for it. Not really much flip up, not much fade, really dead straight disc. And then 
I, I agree with the loose air. It was definitely flippy. I like to throw less stable discs often, so I didn't find it uncontrollable, but it did keep turning a lot of times when I expected it to kind of finish turning and go straight for a bit before fading. I threw a lot of hyzer flips with it that I was pretty, I was pretty surprised with how long it flipped for. It definitely, I think, was probably closer to negative two, negative two and a half, maybe even negative three on the turn. Once again, we have 165 gram lucid air, so that probably is part of it. We were talking about disc weights before, and this just illustrates how different of a disc you can get within the same mold when you have you know, more stable plastic, maybe a little less stable plastic, and then you know a difference in weights. Yeah, I think if I didn't know that these both were Mavericks, I would have thought I was throwing two different discs. It was that different for me. Um, and I think part of it was me trying again to... Um, I kept thinking that, okay, I know what the Maverick's going to do because I threw this all week. And then I'm throwing this version of the Maverick and man, expecting it, expecting it to do that. <clears throat> Sorry. I'll try that again. <laughs> and so I started throwing this, the Lucid Air Maverick and expecting it to do what the Tour Series Maverick was doing. And every single time it my brain was getting tricked and it was just frustrating for me that I couldn't get it to do what I wanted it to do. Well, I think that, you know, it's kind of funny because you didn't have as much time with the lucid air. We switched kind of, uh, today and then David got a chance to do some field work. I feel like that's the one hard thing when you have in your mind what a dish should do and it does something different, whether it's more stable or less stable. I think that can sometimes like color your interpretation of the disc. I, I had a friend or a, a card mate tell me, during a recent tournament that the Maverick for him always flipped up. So actually when I threw the Fusion X for the first time, because we got that one first, I was like, uh, I'm not getting a lot of flip on this disc. It's just going dead straight for me. And then the the Lucid Air, I got a lot more flip. So I, I do like the feel of them. I think they both have a true seven speed rim. The Lucid Air is a little flatter. So I actually like that one a little bit better. The Fusion's got a mild dome to it. The Lucid Air is pretty flat and I, I do like the feel of it it's a it's a comfortable rim really a a good i think the lucid air would be a great beginner driver this one at 165 would i think would be awesome for somebody who's just learning to throw he's got lower arm speed or wants to learn how to do hyzer flips because it does have that really consistent flip even at a lower arm speed or a lower power yeah i'd absolutely agree with you i feel like this is reminding me of one of the discs my wife is starting to learn her backhand on. She's always relied on ripping over on a T-Bird or T-Bird 3 to get a flex route. And she's because really, you're like, the T-Bird 3 works well for me. <laughs> I should give you yeah. one. So she's really trying to work on having that clean snap forward with some more understable discs. And so I think, I mean, the Lucid Air, I think, would be uh, one that I think is similar to what she's been working on that's really helping her out with understanding her release point. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think... It's. I'd almost wish that we could have a third one that would be between them. Or if I was building a bag and and I wanted to put the Maverick in, I'd love to have these two and then one in the middle. And I think that would cover like from my neutral all the way to my flippiest. Like maybe even try it on some rollers, mm -hmm. fairways, and that's kind of nice to have in the same mold because you can have that familiar hand feel, but get some different results. Let the disc do some of the work for you, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's definitely got to be Mavericks out there that are in between these two. I would think this, so, like a max weight Lucid, I was, maybe. I was telling Josiah that the Lucid Air one is actually, it feels significantly more understable than the essences I bag in my bag. 
And in theory, the essence is I would have expected to be slightly more understable uh, than the Maverick based off its numbers. And so, yeah, I think that's just once again, you can get a lot of variety when you change up plastics and weights. I found that I got more flip than I expected with the Lucid Air, but I do think for me, when I was, and I wasn't throwing these max power on flat lines, they were kind of like 80% power on a hyzer, but I did get a nice finish at the end, like a pretty predictable finish. It just came really late. And so you probably didn't see that because you were expecting the disc to be a little bit uh, less flippy than it was. I think it's a good disc. I liked it. I don't think it's something that, you know, just is going to, you know, it's going to rock everyone's world in terms of, wow, this is so unique or different or interesting. But I think if you're like a trilogy thrower and you really like them or you really like dynamic discs, you should probably have this disc in your bag. Anything else you want to talk to about the Maverick or are you ready to go into rating? I'm ready to get into the rating, man. Cool. Let's do it. So our rating system, one out of five, some David and my scored a 10. A one is this disc just isn't that great. Two is it's a fine disc, but there's better options out there. Three is it's a good disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is it's not going in my bag, but it's fantastic. And five is it's going in my bag. So David, what's your rating? I think I'm going to three on this one. I think it's a good disc. I mean, it feels good in the hand, and I really enjoyed. I think if there wasn't so much, I think this is one of the first times that I've thrown different discs and just straight off the shelf, and there's been such different, I guess, discrepancy in what I expect it to be. I would be frustrated as far as me continually grabbing them off the shelf and feeling like I didn't know what it was going to be. I think that might be frustrating for me and maybe that might not be the case. And maybe that's I think this is probably in some ways because of we bought them on the extremes, a lighter weight, uh, lucid air 165, and then one of the more stable plastics, if I understand right, which is a fusion X. So I do think that's part of it, but yeah. I, I agree. I, I think it's a lot of variances between fresh discs. Yep, for sure. And so I think for me personally, I think it's a good disc. feels good. I felt like I was getting some, like, if I want a disc that I can throw straight, it's definitely one of those discs that I can just throw dead straight. Um, and But I'm not really considering tossing it in my bag um, anytime soon. I think partially because I built my bag very differently um, with my uh, fairway drivers. And so, yeah, I like it, but it's not for me. I think it's a great beginner driver, like you said. I think if you're looking for that driver at the beginning, just one that you could put out dead straight, this is a great option. Yeah. Now, I'm with you on that. I'll probably give it a three and a half. I just think it doesn't stand out a lot to me, but I, I do think that I was getting some good distance with them and, and enjoying the flight, and I liked the feel. It wasn't my disc. I, I think I can get similar shots with the Crave and the Servo, depending on which one of these discs I threw, but I think it's a good disc for some people, and it didn't quite make the, oh, it's fantastic, but maybe your game it would be it's definitely one to try out especially if you like that latitude 64 produced plastic so that would be a 6.5 out of 10 which is a good score for a solid disc and yeah that's our review that's the majority of our show but just for fun david i wanted to ask if you had to pick one fpo player to hit a 250 foot tight wooded line if they parked it you both got 100 grand if they didn't park it you got nothing who would you choose? I mean, this shouldn't be difficult. <laughs> I don't know the FPO field well enough to know accuracy-wise, but I do know competitor-wise, um, Paige Pierce any day. As far as as Paige. far as competitor-wise, I'm going with Paige Pierce because I think that if it's on the line, she wants it. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that if you would just be the beneficiary if she if she hit her gap. And I think she's a great choice. I think 250 feet, she's probably going to throw a fierce and and nail it. I think I'll I think I'll probably go with Kristen Tatar. I think that I feel like she's got the full package, forehand, backhand, etc. And I think I may trust her more in the woods than Paige. Paige, I'm sorry. I do think you have a good woods game. But if I'm going to take Kristen Tatar, she's probably going to throw a pure fits of backhand and pure the drive. Well, that's the episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Zach Melton for providing the pro tip. We're going to be giving away both of these Mavericks, the Fusion X and the Lucid Air. If you want to add those to your bag, just check out the Instagram post for this episode and you can win them. Thanks to our Patreons. If you want to become a patron and get bonus content every week, you can join us at patreon.com slash thegrinddg. The other thing I wanted to mention, if you want to be part of the show and you want to tell us one thing that helped you build your game, we're going to have a little, probably not every week, but some weeks we're going to have an AMS Helping AMS segment for the podcast. And we'd love to get from you one thing that helped your game, whether it's, hey, you know, that you heard it, heard someone, whether it's a pro or a friend, recommend something. Uh, you had a disc that really changed your game. Maybe you changed a practice routine or had a different practice routine who's, that's really benefited your game. We'd love selfishly to learn from you, and we think it'd be fun to have some other AMs or maybe pros if you're a pro. Join the podcast, leave a tip. So send us an audio file. Just use the record function on your phone or send some kind of audio file to us at thegrind.dg at gmail.com. Just a short tip or recommendation or disc that you felt like helped your game and you want to share with our audience. Once again, it's thegrind.dg at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, whether it's coffee or disc golf, don't forget to enjoy the grind.